Welcome back to episode 31 of Everything Aviation Podcast. Before we start, I just want to give a shout out to Warbird Coffee & Co, who I must admit have been fueling this podcast for quite a while. I love Warbirds, I love coffee, and I love aviation. They've combined it all into one. Whether it's a nice coffee to get your day started, or a nice strong one to keep you going, be it Lancaster or Spitfire, these are the guys for you. Jump over to their Instagram, have a look at what they've got, and jump onto their website, whether in the UK or the US, I'm guaranteed you will find a coffee for you. Our last guest, Dan Griffiths, was absolutely amazing. He told us about flying every single aircraft that he's ever flown, which, by the way, he's on record to beat Eric Winkle Brown's record. What we have at the moment, though, is Tim Granshaw. Tim is a fantastic guest. He is the chief instructor of the Spitfires.com, Spitfire Academy, based out of Goodwood. And without further ado, here's our chat. Tim, thanks for coming on. How are we? Yeah, really good. Thank you, yourself. Yeah, not bad at all now. Tim, I I didn't, this is quite a special episode for me because I didn't think I'd actually get to do this, but it's, it's flying in a Spitfire and the feelings of it. And I thought we'd get you on as well as Spitfire.com's chief instructor. I thought we'll, we'll have to get someone on who does this regularly. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to go back a bit before we get to all the, the elliptical winged coolness and everything. Where did it all start for you and the interest in aviation come from? Um, since my early memories, memories, um, pretty much. So I used to live in a little place called Chippenhaw in Oxfordshire, and it was in an area of intense aerial activity. So used to have a whole load of tornadoes, jaguars, hawks, everything like that. So it used to be kind of the entry into the low-level uh, zone, and um, I just remember my earliest memories looking at that and just going, not only is that the coolest thing I've ever seen, someone is getting paid to do that. Uh, my career didn't exactly work out that way, but um, no, that uh, just seemed to be, um, ever since I saw just those those type of things, I was just like, I was hooked, that was it. That was pretty much single track mind from then, I just wanted to fly. Brilliant, but it's like one extreme to the other. You've gone from looking at fast jets to what you're flying nowadays, but how, how did you then start your flying journey with that so um i got into well i started learning to fly when i was 16 um so i made some questionable life choices and left school very very early on um uh, it was back in the day pre-september 11th a lot of sponsorship opportunities but most of them you needed a ppl to apply so i um figured in my brainy mind back then if i left school got three jobs and um kind of paid my way through ppl i uh, would uh, get snapped up by uh, one of the uh, the opportunities again as it transpired, of course, um, the landscape changed quite considerably after that, and I found myself uh, with PPL, uh, which was great. I mean, learning to fly when I was that um, uh, that young was, uh, I know you're that young now, Mikey. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it was, it was I don't feel it. <laughs> it was a fantastic journey, um, and um, yeah, I guess the kind of historic edge ever, ever since I'd um, kind of seen seen a Spitfires at air shows so my grandfather was very passionate about the aviation he was the only kind of member of my family who was but I remember he used to have an airfix um kind of a cabinet with airfix and Spitfire just really shone out and he was just raved about it and um ever since I saw one at an air show it's just I it's the most beautiful aeroplane going you see them fly and what they what it means to everyone and I guess I just kind of picked up on that I never ever for a second thought I'd um my career would ever take 
take me to a place where I'd get to spend so much time around them. Um, but it was just, yeah, amazing. So kind of at um, six, yeah, I passed my PPR when I was 18 um, and kind of ran out of ideas of what to do. Um, so I then got into um, aerodrome fire and rescue. So I got in uh, as a firefighter and uh, ran a crew, um, did that for a couple of years and then got into low grade air traffic control. So I became a, um, an air ground operator, which is just basically answering people on the radio and uh, um, then did what a lot of young people do when you don't know what you're going to do, which is uh, just go and travel for a couple of years. So I kind of did that and was lucky enough when I got back to um, get a call from the chief line instructor at Goodwood Aerodrome at the time, um, who said, do you want a job? So I just said, yes, what's the job? And um, ended up kind of moving over and uh, um, started working at the flying school just in operations and uh, kind of, yeah, um, try to create a master plan from there. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Long drawn out story. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool because I like getting into the backgrounds and stuff, especially where you are these days. For people who don't know, Tim is the chief instructor at Spitfires.com, um, which is quite a title to hold, really. Um, and to start with getting into background of fire and rescue, like that's just mad. Um, yeah, it was, um, it's actually, it's, I just kind of wanted to work in aviation. The goal was always to fly, but um, any, I kind of saw any arena in aviation was a way to try and get towards a flight deck of some description. So, and yeah, fire crew took me to air traffic and um, I kind of, at the time, I thought, well, I can't afford to go commercial. So what's the next best thing? Where traffic control will be a great thing because it's, um, yeah, it's a good career, you get um, uh, kind of uh, compensated financially very, very well and um, you still get a little bit of flying. So I kind of thought that route would be great, um, but of course I had left school before I had A-levels, that was one of Nats's uh, minimum requirements. So I kind of, um, I had a couple of friends who were controllers down at Swanwick who were very, very helpful and they um, kind of uh, pulled me to a side and said, well, A-levels aren't the only route, there's kind of a bit of experience route if you go down the kind of FISO route, so Flight Information Service Officer, so as soon as I heard that I basically signed up, got, um, did my exams, got that rating, was lucky enough to get hired by Goodwood, and um, yeah, I kind of needed a couple of years experience to be taken seriously, and then all of a sudden, um, Goodwood Flying School hired a new Chief Flying Instructor who um, was incredibly inspirational and um, was all pro getting young people into into aviation who pulled me aside and said, can't work you out. Do you want to fly or do you want to do air traffic? I was like, well, I want to fly. Um, and he said, well, if we can work it out with with Goodwood and try and find a kind of a scholarship mechanism to help you get there, would you do it? And I was like, in a heartbeat, absolutely. And that's kind of what happened. So I yeah. kind of split my time between the flying school there and the tower. Um, the deal was they'd help me with my hour building and uh, commercial license to become an instructor with them. I was bonded to the company for a, a number of years. Um, and my deal was I had to go away, do my airline exams and, uh, and all that stuff. So fast forward a couple of years, did that, got a commercial, which was an epic kind of course. Um, and then the recession happened. And yeah, so I've it's got really great, stacked against you, timing. isn't it? Yeah, so um, unfortunately, yeah, being on this um, kind of uh, nice, fast-tracked um, life to... Um, aviation amazement uh, getting to instruct I uh, found myself with a CPL didn't fly again my last flight between the CPL and anything else was about two years and um, so the, the scholarship sadly got pulled at that stage and um, I found myself twiddling my thumbs with nowhere to go so I thought you know what, I'll just go back to air traffic full time so that's what I did 
At which point, Spitfires, the company, um, opened a base at Goodwoods and saying they were called Bobby Flight Academy at there. And I kind of did what you do now in terms of as soon as they rocked up, I was like, these guys are insane. The aeroplanes are beautiful. It's kind of a really young, enthusiastic team. And um, so I basically, every waking hour I wasn't working, I was spending down there just learning from the guys, getting to hear about it. It was a really special time as well because there's still a lot of veterans um, who flew them during the war that were alive. And, and they were so inspirational at bringing it in. And um, I'm sure as you found with warbird operators, uh, there's a huge difference from how they are now versus how they used to be. And it used to be very much closed door shop, don't come near yeah, our airplanes, etc. Um, while these guys were just like, no, 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 we want to share this. This is um, it's part of our history. We want to share this with everybody. And um, I found that approach just super inspiring, really. And so, yeah, I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time with the guys. And like I said, I just spend every waking hour. And then um, one miserable day in January, um, uh, Matt Jones, who was co- co-owner at the time, um, wandered up to the tower and just said, um, Tim, we've been advertising a job. I was like, oh, wow. I really, uh, I wish I knew about that. And he said, yeah, we were really sorry to see you apply. Um, do you want it? So I was kind of like, absolutely, what's the job? We were really and, sorry to yeah, see you apply. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so basically they, um, the job was in operation, so helping to run the, um, do the office work basically. But as part of that, they'd kind of heard the story of how I was on a scholarship and didn't uh, manage to complete it due to the recession. They, um, they felt really strongly about that and said, well, we'd really like to help help you with that um so come on board and we'll try and help you out with um in uh, getting your instructors rating so um yeah fast forward i did um completed my um instructor's ticket in uh, the mighty chipmunk which was great which is my first tailwheel airplane i had no... still not flown a chipmunk oh you need to it's, it's brilliant it's like um the chipmunk is like a spitfire just with um, no power so I think the Gypsy Major equates to I've the, seen it on magazines yeah. advertised as the, the poor, poor man's man Spitfire. Spitfire and it is it's the, like, the handling characteristics are great it's just the yeah 120 horsepower Gypsy um, uh, Gypsy Major doesn't compete against a 1600 horsepower Merlin <laughs> um, but it's um, it's a delightful machine it's just it flies how it, it should fly and, and getting to spend any time with Chipmunk was just great and course from an instructing point of view I did my tailwheel conversion and then was uh, for the instructor course was put straight into the back and suddenly you've kind of got no forwards and you have to get used to taking off and landing without being able to see and um, it but the nice thing is is the instructor course which is 25 hours I had 25 hours to get used to all that and after that it became normal and um, I was really really fortunate with that and um, after um, kind of a couple of years, I managed to kind of build up. Um, so the deal was I instructed in my spare time. I did the office work during the, that, but at weekends, if I could go and find people to fly chipmunks, I could go and fly chipmunks. So that's kind of what I did and knocked up a, a couple of uh, hundred hours in them. And then was very, um, lucky enough to be given the opportunity to, there was a requirement for a Harvard pilot and um, they oh, got, yeah, would you like to come fly Harvard? And I was incredibly excited and so scared because the Harvard I'm not sure if you've read any of the reports of Harvard's but they've got Widowmaker wasn't it? Exactly that <laughs> they've got such a mixed report and um, I'm uh, I like to go away and kind of research with the airplanes and see you know other people's things and yeah it just was um, it just seemed like such a step up from the chipmunk I mean it's as opposed to the 120 and 600 horsepower and it was 
uh, this complex machine in I mean you've sat in the you've sat in it and it's, it's, it's like you kind of sat flown back seat at Harvard as yeah. well. it's oh, just like yeah the only thing I can describe is when you're walking up to it. I for, didn't realize how big it was. It was a wacky wabbit when we were in, and as you're walking out to it, my heart was like, "Bump, bump, bump, bump." This is a lot bigger than I was expecting. Yeah, it's just it's a serious airplane. You sat kind of three stories up, and it's oh, it feels like it's considering the chippy, and um, yeah, and it's but it's a great airplane for kind of honing the skills of uh, managing a bigger engine, variable pitch prop, those kind of things. Um, but it is, I mean, it's American, so it's like sitting in Chesterfield and work your way out. It was big and roomy while the chipmunk, you kind of sat on yourself trying to make everything work. And it's, um, it has that special feeling when you're taxiing out with that radial gun and kind of, you kind of be open, you think you're really cool, you're not, but you think you're really well. I'm not. There are lots of very, <laughs> very, very cool um, harbour pilots. I've never been a cool anything, so, but it has that feeling about it. And, um, and of course, it's got the history behind it in terms of, um, most, the majority of people flying fighters um, back in the 1940s all spent time with Harvard, mm. in Harvard and it's just an incredibly good machine at, at um, doing what it was designed to do which was giving people the skill set to be able to fly the, the fighters and it was just, yeah, great and doing, getting to fly that was amazing and also we of course use it as a camera ship quite a lot so um, I was very, very lucky enough to be flying it in um, and having Spitfires for mate on me, which was just, wow. yeah, it was just, it was really difficult actually when you're um, leading a formation, not just to spend the whole time staring at the Spitfire on your wing like three metres away to go, oh, it's, it was <laughs> just amazing. And, it brings that um, thing of who has the better better view, the person in the Harvard or the person in the, in the Spitfire with the elliptical wing, you know? It's, yeah, it's, it's, no, it's, it's a very, um, it's a very, very good question. I, th- I think the best way is to go down two ship for Spitfire formation solves the issue. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, I was really, yeah, really, really fortunate and um, it just, yeah, again, even at that stage, it, it, the Spitfire just seemed a world away from anything that could possibly be my reality. But getting to be there and having these absolute legends, you know, a lot of the pilots that flew for um, flew for Volpe and that, I read articles about them when I was younger. I had like posters of a couple of guys on my wall when I was growing up and stuff. And it was just to be in that scenario where people would come and actually allow you to chat with them and, and, and then get to see the aeroplanes get close to them you know clean them sit in them and then have them fly alongside you it was just like wow it's just and it's it was really difficult to, not to try and explain it to people because um, it was just the coolest thing I've ever seen various different things and it just felt no one knows how cool this is this is just amazing <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah that's kind of where I got to with uh, with Harvard and it's just yeah it's fantastic that's brilliant really really cool and like you said no one knows how cool this is I've flown formation with many types TB20s C42s 152s even a gazelle but nothing has been as, as, as cool as when I flew in the air van with, with the spit just sat there and I was like this is mad there's a spitfire just there and it, it just blows my mind so for you to do that all the time must have been absolutely amazing it was yeah it was oh, it's fantastic I must admit Harvard flights back there were few and far between and formation flights were like hen's teeth but the times they did oh, just was just amazing we took um, we were very very lucky enough to take a um a veteran up um, whose name sadly escapes me right now, um, but he flew mosquitoes during the war oh, wow. and um, had always wanted to fly a Spitfire. And um, I'm just trying to remember, I know his surname was Bell, I can't remember his first name for the life of me, but I remember being in the Harvard leading this formation. We had two Spitfires and he was the closest one, and you're kind of there just going looking at this guy who had 
he, he, he didn't just I mean it was the boundary between kind of history and reality isn't it yeah and then he meets someone who's the history that you read about is and all um, kind of learn about that was their reality and hearing him talk about it and everything like that and then I'll get to the pleasure of having him fly right it. it was just stuff like that is just extraordinary and it was it's the type of experiences that i'll never never forget yes yeah. yeah just incredible yeah. completely agree and i want to touch on the actual spitfire stuff what was the day like when you finally got told you're going in a spitfire um it was uh unbelievable yeah i got told just after a meeting it was a little bit of a, a mixed feeling so um, I was running the operations team back then and I got to fly so I did what um, I, prob- I possibly wasn't the best manager in the world because if I uh, arranged things correctly it would give me enough time to go off and uh, play around <laughs> in aeroplanes. Um, so basically we had a team meeting um, with Matt and uh, Matt said right I know the team's been a bit stretched so um, Tim's going to be spending a lot less time in aeroplanes and uh, we spend in a lot more time with the team. And I was dead. That was kind of the first I heard about it. So I was devastated, sat there, absolutely fuming. And um, Matt then said, after this meeting ended, he said, but Tim, uh, I'd like a quick word. And um, yeah, he said, well, we would like you to check out on Spitfire. And I was firstly dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. I'm very rarely speechless, as you can tell. We must already be about an hour and a half into me uh, talking <laughs> on this podcast. Um, but that, and um, I just started having tears from my tears from my eyes. I started crying. And um, wow, well, that's before you got into the machine. Oh, that was just at the prospect of getting asked. I just didn't know what to say. I could, yeah, I was basically it was just wow. total emotional labour load. And um, yeah, it was a very special and surreal moment. And. Um, Matt also had, uh, he probably wouldn't like me to say this because he's a manly man, but he <laughs> he had, um, yeah, he kind of sh- shared in the kind of tears type of thing because it's such, I think if you've been there and done it and you know what it means to mm-hmm. that individual getting to kind of not pass the baton but helping someone achieve that is a massive thing and it was just the most surreal moment of my life pretty much. So, and I, um, even, even when, I was kind of sat in the aeroplane for the first time. I was still looking around, waiting for, like, I still to this day have massive imposter syndrome, but I was just waiting for someone to go, just go, ha, got you. Yeah, just joking. Um, it felt very, like, um, which is very surreal. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine, especially, like, when I found out I was going, it was it was ridiculous, because it was boyhood dreams. Like I said, I never thought I'd ever be sat here doing this podcast on what it's like to fly a Spitfire. And just getting into this thing and I, I remember it was Mark had told me it was the night before and he was like can you get down to Lee tomorrow I was like yeah why he was like just park a car of mine get down to Lee and we finish up and it was handed a jacket and a, and a, a life jacket and a, and a helmet and I was like what do you want me to do with these he was like put them on the airplane's gone back to Goodwood there's a reason the car is at Goodwood I was like oh <laughs> oh oh okay and uh, just just like that I remember thinking it's so emotional it's like this is a boyhood dream I was a bit nervous mainly for the fact that like you, I've always wanted to do this and the history of it and, the, and everything. I've read the books. I've read Jeffrey Wellham's First Light. Oh, it's amazing book. Yeah. One of my wow. favourites. And it was f- from that I thought, what if this doesn't live up to what <laughs> I wanted to be? <laughs> <laughs> and it was everything and more, which is great. And I remember Neil saying it to me. He said, it's everything you think it's going to be and more. And I fl- flew with him down and it was just absolutely amazing. And I can only imagine what it's like for you then to get to 
check out new pilots on on this a mighty machine what was it like the first time like an instructor got out of the back and left you in the front and said tim go and take her it, um i must admit i was very very fortunate um at the time because i was um very low out at the time so there's certain uh, my spitfire conversion was uh, dictated by how many hours the insurance company were happy to send me solo with which was 10 hours on time so um which is quite a lot of hours. I mean, I, um, a lot of people want to do conversions in minimum time. I wanted to just, well, firstly, I wanted to spend as much time with some of these legends that I got taught by to, like, sap up their um, experience. But um, also, 10 hours in a Spitfire, fantastic! <laughs> um, so I would say it was it was a weird situation. It was the first um, type of solo where I really felt ready for it when it came. Um, it wasn't the best condition, so um, I um, soloed in January, there was a storm coming in that night and um, the winds had put the flying out of limits early in that day. Um, it was all forecast to just increase throughout the day and we just had this lull in the weather um, which lasted for about an hour, which was enough to get up, um, fly out to the quarry, do one run in and break and land at Duxford and then my instructor hopped out and it, the brief was basically to do it again. So my solo um was six minutes long because that's we had to have landed by four o'clock which is when Duxford closed wow. and I took off at six minutes too and so it was basically wow. get out get back land and it was um uh it was an incredible feeling it felt but I felt reasonably ready for it um I think the first time I flew in the front seat of Spitfire was just that was crazy because um you know like you're talking about you've got the um this incredible aeroplane, you're there in the front and um, it, it, yeah, you've got all the history, you've got all the performance. Um, you've also got a huge amount of nerves and of course you've got the pressure to perform. Um, and that's one thing about the conversion, I was told very early on, you get one bad flight, that was it. So if, you, um, if the progression is not consistently up, um, we're not messing around here. Wow, it's, it's yeah. just like military fast jet training then. Well, uh, from what I understand it, it in terms of, um, but they, they basically said it's always up. You can get one and then that's it. And, wow. Um, so that pressure as well. But um, so my first takeoff, we lined up on the grass and um, and I moved that throttle forward and the aeroplane just veered off to the left pretty heavily. And um, so I'm there trying to keep it. And it seems like such an, a massive amount of power. And I was waiting for my instructors, uh, John Doddle, Doddy. Um, I was waiting for the verbal slap he was about to give me. And um, I looked at the boost gauge. And we take off at plus six boost. And I expected me to be at like plus eight, plus nine from the performance I was seeing and the sound I was hearing. And I looked and it was plus one. <laughs> and I was just like, what the hell? And yeah. Um, I keep pushing that throttle forward and um, I remember the first takeoff was not pretty but it, it worked and got into the air and um, uh, Dotty just said right I have control so it's like fair enough we're going to debrief and she said right do me a favour look forward he said look left look right he said you're in the front seat of a fighter just <laughs> enjoy this moment for what it is and it, it, I must admit for that kind of <laughs> one minute it was just like Wow, this is the most incredible thing in my life, and um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's wow. Well, as you can see, just talking about it brings a huge smile to my yeah, face. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's been that smile's been there ever since. <laughs> I was gonna say I've not seen you not smiling. I think is what I'm trying to say. It. I know exactly. Well, I don't know exactly what you mean, but from that point as well, like been given the controls and stuff like that. And I remember we we took off early, climbed up, 
by now the only thing I can think of saying to uh, excuse the language but saying to Neil is this is fucking awesome <laughs> <laughs> I'm sat there and as we came by Portsmouth I'm looking at both aircraft carriers over an elliptical wing with a rounded on thinking I'm in an RAF fighter looking at two aircraft carriers in a, a Spitfire and then that was my bubble was qu- I was quickly brought back into, into the aircraft by Neil going Mikey do you have a license yeah. <laughs> I was like yeah and he went any interesting types in the, in the logbook? I said, yeah. A few, thinking microlights and stuff. And he went, uh, when I had a Spitfire. It's like, yeah. And he went, oh, you have control. <laughs> <laughs> I have control and taking it. And it was just absolutely awesome. So I can only imagine what it was like from the from the front seat for, for you. And before you got to the front seat, did you do any time in the back seat of it? I or? did. So pretty much everybody spends their first, well, not everybody, um, but most people spend the first uh, trip in the back. And the reason for that is there is just so much wow factor. <laughs> also, when you're in the front, I mean, um, I don't, I'm just about to do my row seat instructor. So I don't um, currently teach people from the back of the spit. I'm a front seat instructor. There's um, a little subtle difference with the fact that I can still see. Um, but well, there's, just there's, about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, when you're in the front, uh, you are kind of reliant on getting the airplane, um, the airplane in the right place, and you'll say things like starting it, which doesn't sound much, but starting it is quite. Um, it's you've got kind of you've got to touch things in the right order, but it's multiple. So you kind of go boost, starts, wait for full blades, mags, throttle, and assist. Um, so when you put someone in the front, there's all of that, and of course, as you um, as most people, as soon as you step into the airplane. Um, a guy called Chris Hadlow who, um, or Hadders who um, summed it up beautifully which he said as soon as you sit into the aeroplane you lose 75% of your capacity as a pilot <laughs> just said, as soon as you and I, um, I think that's an incredibly accurate statement yeah. so to get that initial flight of just wow this is what oh my word yeah, get that and then suddenly when you get to the front there but my first flight actually in the back of the Spitfire was um incredibly weird it was um i was uh, there with it was a formation flight it was a charity flight and i was in the back of the spitfire and alongside was zara phillips and an extra and um <laughs> the other side was this bulldog with uh, mike tinderwin and i spent this day with zara phillips and mike tinderwin i'm big uh, big rugby fan i was just like wow and um Yes, there were some comments from uh, Zara's plane asking what I was actually doing in the back of the aeroplane because uh, she didn't know what else could create <laughs> so much smile. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite an interesting uh, interesting um, journey. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I find, because you say as well, you could just about see from the front to back, I found out. Can't well, how, how are you finding that with the conversion? Yeah, um, so I'm about, I've been putting, I'm trying to, and I'm still trying to put off the conversion as much as possible. The Spitfire takeoff landing, you cannot see anything. Um, basically, it's, if you imagine 45 degrees from your front, both sides, that's what you can see backwards. And you cannot, so as soon as you're in that three point attitude, that's it. You lose all of that. Um, and. Um, the rear seat, of course, you can see even less, as you were finding out. It's also the fact that the, the way the canopy works from a point of view is it um, slightly obscures um, the image. So if you've yeah. ever... We get the same in the front, actually. So if you try and... A lot of people say, you know, can't you just move your head to the side or something like that? The problem is, is it distorts your forward vision. So trying to work out where you are in relation to anything is quite difficult. So um, it's... 
I mean, I've done a few hours in Spitfires now, and for the instructor side of me, because I love instructing, like being able to impart that knowledge and see people's kind of um, flight experience grow over time and be part of that journey is incredibly rewarding, the best one I do by a long way. So to be able to do that on the level of Spitfire is just fantastic, but then there's the other side of me just going, I shouldn't be here anyway, this is the imposter <laughs> thing, and um, flying with someone who, um, well, t- to be fair, they'll always be more confident than me, but the, the idea that from an experienced level, I'm the, I'm the experience of flying with people there is a very nervous thing to, uh, to want to do. And so to be able to have that and see less is, um, yeah, interesting. It's just, a, um, it, it, yeah, it's an experience-based thing, but it's also having that, being able to build up that trust with the person in the front because you do have to have very, very big um, amounts of trust. It's not a... The chipmunk was great. Genuinely thought you were about to say something else there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, it's very much an aeroplane where you can't necessarily... Um, so if the landing goes wrong and those kind of things, everything has to be quite prescribed, quite gentle in a certain way. You can't just throw the power forward, for example, and do various different things. It has to be quite well thought through and um, all those kind of things. So being able to be in those situations where invariably people are, you know, if I look at my land and some of them went really well, some of them didn't. And so having that capacity there to be able to sort that out in a nice, gentle, and um, most importantly, a way that's useful for the, the student to get the most out of it is... Quite a task. I'm looking forward to the challenge of it, but I am very, very nervous of it. I also look at the um, the calibre of people who currently teach, and I'm just like, I look at that and just go, <laughs> I should not be in the same room as these people, let alone in the back of that aeroplane. So, um, yeah. That's very cool. Very, very cool. And I, I remember the way you're saying about the landings and stuff. The first time I was in the sim, I decided I'm going to land this like a, you know, the way you do as a pilot, I'm a pilot, you give me the controls and so I'm going to land this like a normal airplane. I ended up landing on the track of good luck the same <laughs> like, so I, I know exactly what you mean when you say, oh, you need to get it right and everything, whereas Muggins here just thought, oh, look at me, a big shot, spit, oh, and to this day, my other half has stood um, behind me with, with Nigel, the sim instructor. And to this day, the both of them have not let me live it down that I landed on the track, went through a fence, and then made the runway. Well, you still put it down, so perfect. Exactly. Any landing you can walk away from. <laughs> <laughs> and have you got any idea when you might be finished this course, or when you might start instructing? Um, so it's this winter. Apparently, I'm destined to uh, destined to do it. So um, yes, we shall see how that goes. Like ourselves, <laughs> I'll still keep trying to knock that down the road as far as possible. But uh, um, but you'll uh, still get to fly in the front with. with yeah, the, the majority of the front stuff, and that's, um, I must admit, that's instructing in that aeroplane will be incredibly rewarding, but the passenger flying is so much, um, so much of a good experience. Um, not just for me, hopefully, but the, um, the, the best thing, the best thing about that is you're not just getting to fly this wonderful aeroplane, or... Um, getting to fly with someone but there's a lot of the time these kind of once in a lifetime um, trips and you, as you well know with your uh, fantastic customer service thank you um, <laughs> but you, you get into uh, be um, kind of a key part of someone's what might be their trip of a lifetime for them yeah. and um, getting to share that getting to get, to get some time on the controls for them getting to do some aerobatics if that's what they want to do is just so rewarding and of course as far as the environment goes it's quite an alien environment for a lot of people so being able to be that kind of hopefully comforting person that can um, hopefully bridge the gap between reality and what the Spitfire kind of gives you is is incredible so um flying yeah I mean 
I guess the mecca is the um, display flyer, that's what everybody aspires to, but actually getting to fly with people and deliver that, I don't I don't think that's actually going to be achievable to top it. Um, it might be, I mean, uh, Neil of course has just done the whole um, 24 ship adduct to a Balbo, which just That was quite yeah, cool. it's incredible. <laughs> so um, I'm sure that's, that's on that level, but yeah, for me getting to, and I've flown with people as young as 18, but as old as Definitely someone um, in their kind of mid-90s. And the aeroplane just changes people. Um, my first passenger was an ex-Royal uh, Marine commando and very wow. um, very stiff upper lip. Didn't give anything away, this guy. And I, I remember walking out to the aeroplane. This guy had no idea that he was my um, uh, my first, as it were. And um, I didn't know what to make of that. And then after we landed, we got, we got back. He got out, hugged me. The guy had tears in wow. his eyes, and it's just, and that's all the airplane. There's nothing to it about me, but it was, it was just that. Um, there is something about that machine that's I don't think it's replicated anywhere else. It just brings yeah. out these emotions in people, and it's just, yeah, it's such a privilege. And that's the thing about this is that these flights are never about the person in the front. They're all about the person in the back. And yeah. Um, the, my one big thing um, in all of this is um, people's egos because everybody expects to be a pilots to be hugely ego egotistical and um, some of the new guys rising through the ranks that's one thing I always say to those guys is it is a privilege to be here never forget yeah. that and you are here f for the passenger you're not here to do anything look do at me I'm flying exactly that. Yeah. It's, it's all about this is a once in a lifetime trip and um, the nice thing is most people doing this really get that really um, um, and help deliver that experience and it's uh, yeah privileged to be part of the journey it's brilliant but you're saying it's not about the person at the front I completely get that but you want the right person at the front as well because I've seen it with yourself you put them right at ease these guys are meeting you five minutes before they get in the airplane and all of a sudden they're going up in a <laughs> 400 mile an hour World War 2 fighter with you um, but you do such a good job of putting them at ease and I think that's brilliant I think that's a great way as well for your instructor and everything is you'd be right in there ready to let Thank anyone you. know that <laughs> yeah you can you can do this which is fantastic but you've mentioned about the charity flight that you did and like actually getting the solo spitfire what has been your best moment in a in a spitfire Ooh, or that's a tough question um probably a couple of a uh, couple of experiences that stand out the first time was uh, besides the first solo and all that first time flying a single seat uh, that was incredible um I hadn't, I'd soloed the Spitfire, but I was very low hour, so I couldn't do the passenger flying and those kind of things, and it um, it kind of dropped off the radar a little bit. And then I got the opportunity, a few things worked out, I was doing a formation course at the time, and then flew with uh, the boss, and um, the boss was quite impressed with my performance. And then um, within a week, I'd gone from not doing a huge amount to suddenly being told I was going to fly the single seat. And I wasn't expecting the single seat to um, impact me the way it did. Um, but it was a, um, a morning in, uh, I think it was May, and um, I got to the airfield and I knew I was um, going to do that and did the checks and I then sat in the um, uh, kind of Terrapin heart down in Leon Salem with uh, Jim, who's our chief pilot, and had the brief and um, Jim was, I, I guess it's the same for everybody, but just having Jan just said, it's just an aeroplane, just remember that, it's just an aeroplane. If anything happens, it's just an aeroplane. So... Um, and at the time, we also had Dave Stobie, who or Stobes. Uh, Stobes is the current uh, chief pilot for the Empire Test Pilot School. So again, the standards are relatively high. He was just sailing Gilda for the first time, and so uh, the two seat. And so 
Um, there were two Spitfires, both first solos, and um, I basically had 40 minutes with this aeroplane, and there was a rough plan. I had certain things I, um, Jim said, you know, go and stall it, go and do some arrows, that, and he said, but most of all, there's going to be very, very few times in your career where someone's going to go, here's a Spitfire, there's 40 minutes, go and enjoy yourself. And um, and having the, the position of the cockpit is slightly, so it's slightly further back, and of course you've got the cannons, and uh, it was, um, we had the D-Day stripes on as well. And I do I forget, because 232 has, still has the stripes and the cannons yeah, on exactly it. exactly yeah. that. And I got out to the island, and um, you had the, I mean, I'm still very new to it, and every, for the first, well, even now, as soon as you get airborne, it's you have this minute or so of just like, this is crazy, this is amazing. And then you remember you've got to land it. <laughs> and I certainly had that in, in that, but I went out to the Isle of Wight and I uh, went down to the, um, just down the south side, and my family's from the island, so it was all very kind of poignant. But I remember going over the cliffs early in the morning, a few cumulus clouds, and looked around and just went, this is the closest I'm ever going to um, imagine what it was like for those guys during the war. Wow. Um, because you're in the single seat, you're there, it's early morning. I was looking over the water, the same piece of sky that those guys did, you know, such heroism and everything like that. And um, looked and just thought and imagined what it was like trying to look for the enemy and those kind of things. And it was just one of those moments where it was just like, yeah, unbelievable. And then getting to, getting to do that. So that was the first um, experience. The... Um, I think the second thing, a couple of being involved in kind of Spitfire formation stuff, and the first time I was ever allowed on someone's wing in a Spitfire was just, uh, I had one afternoon with Jim, we did three um, formation flights back to back, and it was, um, yeah, it was just, you look, I, I was, um, yeah, a couple of times when you go around the needles, and you've got, not just the needles, but you've got a Spitfire that you're formated <laughs> on, looking across over the needles, and it was just... Yeah, you look at that, and um, yeah, it's it's very very difficult to then explain to people when you get back um, yeah. what it's like. Um, and probably most recently, we did a fighter appreciation, which I got to be part of, and um, it's all quite well choreographed. So the fighter appreciation, if you um, aren't familiar, is we take the two two seaters and um, either the Bush or one o nine. If we can't get that, we'll use our single seat, and you'll go and effectively. Um, you go out as a formation, but it's the, the part of it is trying to do some gentle, highly choreographed air combat to give uh, people an idea of Very what it's cool. like. Now, typically it's all done through guys who've actually done TAC weapons courses, so our um, ex-RAF uh, fighter pilots in the night. This course, unfortunately, we didn't have um, anyone available, so um, I got to do it, which is great. Um, I've been involved in it from other sides and um, all of that, but that was just the most surreal experience. So it's myself, Neil, and Matt, and uh, we went out. And but when you suddenly start looking at tactics and ha um, uh, the tactics that Jim had um, kind of brought in from how how it was actually flown during the war and those kind of things, and it almost um, sounds like a World War Two Spitfire version of Exercise Red Flag yeah. that they host out in the states for all the big fighter things. That's exactly what this sounds like. Yeah, and it was um, in getting to see that kind of and how actually, I mean, we, and we were taking it easy, you know, the um, we were kind of trying to limit it to two G, maybe a little bit more than that. So. I think during the war when they were up at five, six, seven G or modern day fighter pilots when the pilots oh, man, they used to play and with how, it. Yeah, and how 
quickly every even even though it's choreographed, I know exactly where everyone's going to be at what time and various different things. And you're looking around and you lose them for a second, then you're trying to find them again. It's just like this is happening so quickly, and then you just think the the guys who actually do it for real. It's just like <laughs> wow, yeah, so much. I will take my hat off and uh, bow to you because this is yeah, it's it's crazy. So we're getting to see that and. Yeah, it's just, I could talk about this stuff all day. Brilliant, (laughs) but that's why you're here. (laughs) Have you flown, because we have the Silver Spitfire, Gertie, um, based with us, and it's an awesome thing to see. Have you had the privilege of flying? I haven't. um, I still hope, I remember when it came to Goodwood and Matt saw me pouring all over it, and I think we had to polish a lot of my uh, uh, tongue marks off it, because it's just fantastic. But uh, Matt, I remember Matt came up to me and just went, She's amazing. I just want you to know this. He said, look into my eyes when I say this. I was like, yeah. He's like, you will never get to fly this aeroplane. I was like, <laughs> it, just, it was like a little knife straight to my heart. But um, I think there might be, I don't want to... Um, Touch wood. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not looking to uh, um, yes, predict the future, but there might be the opportunity I might get to fly. But Very cool. Any Spitfire is amazing. That one in particular, I mean... Wow, yeah, it's um, it, it just stands out. And for those people who are listening to the podcast who don't know what Gertie did, she did do 50 combat missions. I think she had a couple of kills to her name as well. Absolutely. She's the only Spitfire to hold a Guinness World Record plaque on the inside of her door as well for flying around the world in 2019. And because it was flying around the world, they didn't want her, I think it was militarised. Exactly, yes. So everything's been taken back to the chrome underneath and she's pure aluminium just no paint as far as restorations go I mean she is amazing so although it's had a full restoration they've been very very careful to keep any airworthy parts back so the skins of the aeroplane is the detail I mean there was when it was originally built a couple of the um, the guys who were putting the panels on the aeroplanes scratched their initials in and that's still there and so you look at all that stuff and just go wow and it's just yeah the polished aluminium is just a sight to see isn't it's beautiful you just walk in this is a mirror to face yeah. it's like whoa <laughs> give me my sunglasses <laughs> yeah it's just phenomenal aeroplane <laughs> she's awesome and with all this like warbird stuff going on have you any aspirations at all to, to go to EasyJet BA anything like that um truth be told no <laughs> but I'm not uh, surprised past, yeah um the, the flying idea at the moment is going to be the best flying I ever do and um if and when I have to walk away from it it's going to be a very very sad day and um, there are sides to it where again having completed commercial license and inspiration and all of that stuff get to use it in anger um that part of me does want to go and um experience that side of things and um and yeah the kind of operating an airline is very different of course from flying one of these and that's a totally unique skill set to that and so you get to be Part of that and actually seeing what it's like to be on that side of things does does appeal. Um, but this stuff, getting to do this, is just, yeah, amazing. And you never know how long this stuff's going to last for. I mean, it was only possible, the passenger flying only started pretty much five or six years ago. It's very, very new and you don't know how long it's going to last for. So you I used feel to have to have a pilot license as well, didn't exactly you? Exactly that. So, yeah, it started off where you had to have a pilot's license to be able to go in the back of a um, backseat of a Spitfire. And um, when you look at that, I kind of count my absolute blessings that I was in the right place at the right time in history to be able to do any of this. And any flight in it is just incredible. So the fact that I've had been fortunate enough to have some kind of 750 or coming up to 800 flights in Spitfires is just mind-blowing. 
but yeah, and uh, I would have thought from a um, career perspective, uh, my uh, my good wife will probably enjoy uh, the uh, yes, the the airline lifestyle, as it were, a little bit more than this. But it's um, I'm under no amount that what what I get to do at the moment is will be the best flying I ever do, and um, I've got to be a reasonable part of something incredibly special. I mean, that company has done a huge amount it's inspired so many people I've been fortunate enough to go and talk to and be with a whole load of veterans that I'd never ever thought I'd get to I've got to meet some of my literally childhood heroes and get to you know have a pint with them and then ask me about my flying experience and there's <laughs> stuff like that so it will be if and when the time comes it will be a very difficult um, thing to do but um, yeah what whatever the life has has in front it will be a uh, Exciting, I'm sure. That's brilliant. And what what are your plans for the future? Even now that you can see or that you know are going to happen. Um. Well, this is where I shamelessly plug my own business, isn't it? No. Um. I must admit, it's from the flying perspective. Um. I'm probably going to keep holding on to this as long as possible. Um. I do have a uh, um a little business on the side that I'm trying to um nurture a little bit as well. Um. Which would be the um, the ideal would be to kind of have the two together, I think, because it um, allow a little bit of the kind of the uh, the business side of things that I like versus versus applying. Um, but yeah, it's really really something to see. Um, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be an exciting time. So Brilliant. you still not told us the name of your business. Yes, well, <laughs> I should. I feel I feel a lot of hijacking your. Use podcast, this time. Use this no, time. Um, so um, I've been very, very fortunate enough to be a co-founder of a little company called Airspare. So um, we are uh, one of the first aviation, so we're an aviation marketplace built exclusively for the general aviation world. And the idea is it's, um, well, the idea behind the business where there are a lot of very, very good kind of pilot supplies company, very established and those kind of things. But if you're looking for aircraft spare parts of um, aging aircraft, and there are a lot of really good pilot supply companies that people know nothing about or uh, particular. So the idea of the marketplace was to try and bring um, all those kind of um, organisations together um, in one place um, to t- try and take out the time of it. And also to, dare I say it, to um, give people a much kind of clearer idea of kind of pricing and those kind of things. The problem about things being hard to find is you never know whether you're getting a good deal on everything until you have it alongside um, another thing. So the idea behind us is to try and make it easier for everybody, um, quicker for everybody, so people don't spend all their time trawling the internet trying to find these parts, Um, but also trying to give them real kind of peace of mind on getting value for money and those kind of things um it's aviation is an incredible thing to be part of it's already expensive enough and that's of course with the cost of living crisis going on as as it is it's become harder and harder to um kind of sustain that and um yeah we certainly felt um kind of Profit margins of various different, uh, different, different arenas have been huge for years, and um, uh, we're very, very much pro that you know businesses need to make money and people need to make livings and those kind of things. But there are some areas where, actually, to be able to make a process to make it much more affordable, to make everything far more transparent, um, is something we feel incredibly passionate about. And so, yeah, being part of that and have helped develop some of the kind of um, technology 
technology behind it and um, hopefully then we're a fairly new startup though we've only been running um, or trading kind of uh, 18 months or so and we're, we're just about to launch a new platform which will allow us to um, uh, start again more more companies involved in those kind of things but uh, yeah we're, we're really passionate about bringing the kind of best quality um, products to in one central place and just make it as easy and straightforward as possible so Brilliant. that's the plan whether it'll work or not we've known <laughs> and uh, we're of course uh, very dependent on people's support and um, being a startup and those kind of things but we're the nice thing about the company is we are um, it's built by um, so four aviators so all of us have either a pilot's license um, so two of us got commercial licenses um, one's got a PPL and another's is learning to fly at the moment and is a um, well, one of our engineers of course he spent um, we met from a lifetime of working together with uh, in the warbird world and everyone is just well, you know what it's like aviation yeah. everyone is so passionate about it and aviation is our world so it's not just a job it's our lives and yeah. so to get to share that and hopefully make general aviation a better place or a more kind of community fed place for everybody is what we're, we're looking to to try and achieve so to make it as um yeah affordable accessible and um as open as possible that's kind of the dream so yeah brilliant Brilliant. Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on to this evening. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And um, yeah, I'll see you at Lee in a few days for more Spitfire. Fans. Absolutely, it's going to be great. <laughs> Looking forward to it.